0: We are back, baby. We are back. We are back. You are looking live. We
1: get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our
0: little differences. Let's get fucking like a monkey. And here we go.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Moose and Runes podcast. Joined by Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Musso. Plenty to get to today on the pod. A historic day at East lake The sights, the sounds, the scenery of uh, Tiger Woods' 80th career victory. We're going to get into it all. Obviously, a ton of NFL to get to as well as the Bears lead the NFC North, something we haven't said in a long, long time early in the season, but nonetheless, uh, reason enough for celebration. We also have, back by popular demand, uh, he's on the Notre Dame beat for one foot down the SB Nation uh, affiliate of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. That's Phil Goff. We had him on the pod to preview the season. Uh, now that we got a few games under our belts, we're going to have Phil back on here to talk uh, what's what's happened and what we can expect uh, coming uh, coming down the stretch here for for the Fighting Irish.
2: Yeah. Matt. First. I think I think and, part of it was he was so good, but part of it was we had him on to preview a big night game at home, uh-huh. and they won. So part mm-hmm. of me I think is like got to have him on yeah, before it's a big superstition. night game. Like just he's coming on before a big night games to preview it. If they that's, win again, how, he's going to come on before Florida State, even though that might not be a huge game. That's how our booking department works. Yeah. Out of just strict superstition, always. That's, that's, that's all it is. When you're one man department, show. Uh,
1: but Matt, first and uh, and most definitely foremost, <clears throat> we we played witness to the full comeback. And those who doubted him, those who who still were waiting for that win to to constitute Tiger Woods as back finally could check that box finally have something to say and uh he did it in true tiger fashion five clear of the field for most of the of the weekend honestly and uh finishes it not so much in style missing that putt i know he would have loved to have that six seven footer there at the end but uh an unbelievable scene there for tiger woods at the tour championship
2: yeah i think that's kind of how we even thought that was always going to be i don't think he was going to win a close one for his first one i always thought he was going to especially after he kind of Lost those two majors close down the stretch. It felt like that first win was going to come where it was just Tiger, not really all that close to anybody. But nonetheless, it was it was awesome to see him pull off that win. And like I know you texted me, I think it was what was it Saturday, like early in Tiger's round. Like, what's your address? I want to send you the golf balls because you want. I was like, mm-hmm. let's pump the brakes here. It was. It still never felt like it was in doubt, but like part of that superstition, we want to be like, all right, let's just let's hold off. I, I've seen stranger things happen at golf. <laughs> I know it's Tiger Woods, but. It was cool to see him win, and man, that scene when he was walking up to the green on Eastlake and everybody kind of folded in behind him, like, it was like Caddyshack when they're walking up and you see literally like, like a wave of people kind of, it was like a movie, like, you don't see that in pro, like, you don't see that, and that, that amazing amount of people, I mean, Tiger not only had that big of a crowd following him there, it had you know, surrounding the green, Tiger stole the show on an NFL Sunday, Name the yeah. last person sporting event able to really do that. And not, not only was a sporting event, it was one person who was able to do that. He stole the show. He was the top story on a fairly wild NFL Sunday where a lot of things... Yeah, it, it, was happening,
1: happen. uh, it was happening simultaneously to that Saints-Falcons finish to where if you go back and watch those highlights, uh, it is... Uh, arguably the best game of the season fantastic thus far, obviously. It, it was a little sloppy, this and that, but the scoring, the back-and-forth nature, Drew Brees spinning into the end zone, is fantastic. And like you said, simultaneously, everyone is locked into one man, three shots clear of the field, uh, coming down the stretch. That that picture, that photo, that video of him walking down 18 with the hordes behind him was just reaffirmation of, of a man who, who got up off the mat. And uh, that, was the, that was the signature on it right there. That was the, the scene we'll always remember. It's, it's indelible. It'll forever be linked with the game. And I know uh, it, it's not a major, but it is the tour championship. It is amongst the best. And it is a man coming back from, from immeasurable odds. And, and some of those were, were brought upon himself. But um, he's a man who we watched grow up and we watched do nothing but succeed. And then we watched him do nothing but fail and to watch him back in the good graces. Um, everybody loves the comeback story, but for those of us that as cheesy as it sounds, but for those of us that stuck with him through the bad stuff, it felt really good too. But for those who, who, whose belief wavered, but was never lost, it felt really good. And I, I I'm a little embarrassed to say that like, it was an emotional moment. It was a little misty eyed for me personally. Um, and I, and I wasn't sure why you know this is this is a stranger this is someone this is my favorite athlete this is someone I watched growing up but why is it inspiring such emotion in me and I was happy to hear that I was not alone in that camp a lot of people you know coming up and saying it, it was it was very emotional it was it was the, the truest form of the comeback story and uh, just unbelievable that we, we got to see him do it again and if, if that's the last time it, that's the last time, but uh, I, I don't think it is. And to be able to see him in the winner's circle again with his arms over his head and actually showing a little bit of emotion—that's what human it was emotion, for me. The, the, that, that, yeah, that was that was special because you could tell um, Tiger felt like he got back to the mountaintop because because that's where he was.
2: It would have been one thing if it was the you know the same stone faced Tiger we knew from kind of his first run you know run of dominance where you know yeah he won but he was still kind of all business as usual. He wasn't really an emotional, t- obviously he had the fist pumps and all that stuff, but for the most part, he was kind of even keel, pretty stone-faced throughout the entire time. And we touched on it even, you know, wow, a year ago, we were talking about Tiger in the Bahamas, uh, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that whatever it was, his own tournament where he played kind of well and we got all excited. And uh, He seems like a different golfer and a different person right now. And I, I, I was uh, I was listening to, it was an interview Scott Van Pelt did on someone else's radio show, but svp Talked to Tiger obviously on Sunday on his show um, after the win, and, and he was talking about how Tiger has even said himself he, he's just a different person now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, when it comes to fan interaction, when it comes to using that like the love of fans. He used to be this guy before. You know, the first run where he didn't really care about the fans. He didn't care who was there, who was surrounding him. He was just kind of in his own little was zone. Let's, and, you know, let's go
1: win as many as we can.
2: And at that time, it it did work for him because he was mm-hmm. the you know he was the most talented person in the world. It wasn't all that close. Uh, but but this time around he's he's you know SVP was talking about how Tiger is you know even said that he lets the fans kind of fuel him a little bit he lets that emotion from them he draws on it and it gets to him it helps him a lot and that, it's nice to you know see that person kind of grow and realize that you know those people do love him and you can use that type of fuel to make him better it certainly has and quite honestly I I know Rory was way back going into Sunday but it was wasn't by any means over I mean anything can happen on a Sunday at a golf tournament you could tell the fans got to Rory a little bit the emotion the the fans pro Tiger in his corner obviously weren't booing Rory or you know being mean to him whatever but like Tiger hit a couple big shots and Rory followed with a couple uncharacteristic you know misses there was one where Mm. Tiger stuck an iron to you know 15 feet from the rough, Rory had a look from, I think it was a, you know, a fluffed up look from the, the first cut that was a really good lie, and he just hit a wedge way short in the bunker. And you can tell, like, little shots like that, little moments like that, that, you know, guys like Rory, who said, you know, we hope this comes back, you know, we want the, you know, the real Tiger, we want these these fans, this atmosphere, kind of let the pressure get to him a little bit.
1: Yeah, Rory kind of, in the midst of, of a comeback of his own, uh, obviously a much smaller scale, yeah. but... He, the game was wasn't nice there the really part of the, the season way, for him, and it was good to see him in that situation. Uh, I think no one more deserving than uh, Justin Rose to walk away with the tour oh, championship absolutely. when you're when you're just talking about consistency. Say, in has the there top been 10. a more
2: consistent golfer uh, in the last four, three, four years? If, I mean, if, Justin if you Rose the, might not win every major, but he's always like you said, he's always last three four
1: years. Last three four years, no, there has not been. If you look at this season, I believe Tony Finau has the most top. 10. Oh yeah. didn't ha- didn't have a win, but a guy who always found himself up there, but Justin Rose extremely deserving of the tour championship uh, got to or excuse me the FedEx That's Cup nice championship, stuff. and got to do that out in front of tiger, get that out of the way it was It was an interesting ebb of emotion by the crowd there and and then to have to reset for this this massive moment and with it, with it kind of being a foregone conclusion down the stretch, I, there was that point where it did get to a two-stroke lead. That was, uh, I think, at the back nine momentarily, and it was it was, it was a brief scare, but yeah, we well, pretty much pretty much worry-free for the majority of the round, and it allowed me, I guess, to uh, do a little thinking rather than be like locked in on every single one of his shots because mm-hmm. it was it was life or death. And I was just thinking, like, what what makes us? love this guy, what makes us such fans, why do we want to see, like I said, a stranger succeed to this extent, and I came to the conclusion that it's just we want to see not only the comeback story, but as a public, we are enthralled with people who can operate at the highest level, and we saw Tiger do that for so long, and to see the best of us be the best of us again, I think it really meant a lot to a lot of people. It, I think it reminded people of a time, a feeling, and uh, it really brought people back to, I guess – the mid two thousands, late nineties, there when he was doing it, and it was just a an amazing thing to behold. And I, I not only felt that it was this comeback, but I still kind of felt like it was a, a signifier of things to come. I felt like this was him saying, "I don't I'm think this back. is the end." Yeah, not me saying I'm done. This is like I remember this feeling, and Let's I think get when back you give Tiger, a, it's a shame that it happened the last tournament of the season because when you give Tiger a taste of it like that. I think that he's really one of those rare ones who's able to download that feeling, what it took, everything that goes along with victory, and that's like a shark with a drop of water. I think I think this is going to lead to some more victories.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, unfortunately, like you said, it's coming in the you know, last tournament of the year, but we still do have the Ryder Cup, and hopefully, he can mm-hmm. kind of use that fuel. And I think he will. I think he's historically probably the last not person. the
1: best. Historically not the uh, best
2: in uh, in historically. Team. I don't care. It, it's not, I know, but it's, I'm just saying.
1: If he goes out there and, and pulls a half a point over the whole weekend, don't be surprised. Fair enough. I'm not going. I'm not going negative on Tiger. He just has never in Ryder Cup situations. There's been a couple big situations. Obviously, he's come up, but like our uh, our memorable moment, like the snapshot of Tiger in team competition, is from a Presidents Cup. It's not from the Ryder Cup.
2: Maybe and this might be, you know, grasping at straws here, and maybe just because I hope that I, you know, I want to see him go out and dominate the field, but we've talked about how this is a little bit of a different tiger than the last time around. And you know the last time he played in a Ryder cup, you know, he wasn't, you know, the dominant tiger that was right before he got hurt. And he was still kind of always banged up. Maybe this newish tiger, the one who embraces the fan role, maybe embraces team golf a little bit more. And I'm not saying he didn't get, you know, up for it like he used to be, yeah, it might but help. there was a little bit more saying, something though. like, you know, him going out it, back in his day when he was this locked in guy, You know, it's me versus the world where it's it's a little bit different of a feeling when you're playing on a team, you know, team golf. Like, yeah, okay, I I screwed up, but whatever, we got other guys and, you know, maybe someone. I'm not saying that's the case and maybe I'll be proven wrong, but that might also be a part of, you know, who he was. Maybe he felt like he could let his guard down a little bit. I don't know. I'm just hoping to see him dominate.
1: I but. think uh, another, another big takeaway from that weekend is, and I know people have been very supportive, or his peers, the other players of Tiger in this comeback. He even said it in, in his, uh, his thank you at the end. You know, A lot of these guys have, have been there for him, watched him go through what he went through. and um, But I was looking at this leaderboard. I just kind of scrolled through the leaderboard of that top 30. There's really only one guy who saw him do this firsthand who was out on the course feeling the effect of tiger in full force and that was phil mickelson i don't think there's another guy old enough on that on that not so. maybe 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 a young kevin nah um, but everyone else this was their first experience of tiger dominating and tiger uh, walking away victorious like that and i think some guys are happy and i think other guys are saying oh shit
2: yeah, kind of um, be careful might, what you wish for type thing. We might
1: still have a few years where uh, if this guy gets a two shot lead, it, it's all said and done. So um, it's uh it, it's it's an interesting time to be a golf fan. To have Tiger coming back, to have uh, a, a lot of guys who maybe had fall off seasons. Like I, I don't think uh, I don't think Jason Day's too happy with the way things went this year, uh, despite being in the top thirty here. I don't think. Uh, Dustin Johnson's happy with the the second half of his season here or the second half of the playoffs here. Uh, I think Bubba Watson's always a guy you have to wonder if he's on the the front end or the tail end of any sort of greatness. Brooks Kepka stepping into the forefront. So as a golf fan, so many things happened this year. I mean, you have a a first-time Italian major winner in Francesco Molinari who's aging, but just getting to the mountaintop, what does he present next year? There are so many... Bryson DeChambeau's doing math and bunkers, and, and uh, by all cost, by all estimations, could have won the Tour Championship if he could have sustained any of that. Like we said, Tony Finau, a guy with consistent success. It's just it's even more wide open with tiger there now and, and i know people made the argument that oh it, you know it was it was no fun because we knew who was going to win when tiger was there well it's never going to be that i think tiger is just now a part of a larger group who uh, who can get it done on a on an every weekend basis
2: yeah that's the nice but like i don't think tiger's ever going back to being you know what he used to be no, that's impossible guy. but I still, like you were kind of saying, he does have that potential, the ability still to be, you know, in that group that we've talked about. Of six and, seven of league guy. and he might also be the best, you know, when he's on of all of them. But all this is going to do, I mean, this is still so good for the game because we were always saying how, you know, these kids are also good. The Spieths, the Fowlers, the Rorys, the Justin Thomases mm-hmm. of the world. Like, they're so good, but we can't get eyes on them. This is a way for, you know, the PGA golf to get eyes on these on these players because people are going to tune in to watch Tiger and if it's a different one of these, hopefully Tiger's always contending and majors are always around if people are tuning in on Sunday you're going to see now you're going to see a lot more people who get to see Jordan Spieth who get to see Ricky Fowler and I think that's only going to you know increase their brand because you're going to see there's more guys to be able to go out and duel with Tiger now than there used to be and the fact that Tiger's come back down to the field I think you're going to see a lot of these guys grow because they get to go one on one not one on one but you know, they get to go up against Tiger, you know, in majors and all that stuff. And I think it's obviously only good for golf because it's just going to bring more eyeballs to not only him, not only to the game, but their other stars they're trying to grow.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's all it's all a good thing, as you said. But uh, Matt, as you alluded to earlier, uh, with Tiger's victory, you you win the uh, the. Rolled over golf ball bet there, so I'm raising yeah, my arms dozen, in triumph right now. Two dozen, I can hear it. Um, yeah. Two dozen Titleist Pro V1 or Pro v X's. You got to tell me what you like. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you know by be, the end of the week. That will be sent to your door. But uh, I did, uh, I did remind you that you know this was a bet that uh, that was born out of stipulations. Um, I won the first. I won the first. Well, bet. you didn't because I won the first bet, but it was born out of stipulations. Yeah. So. I am going to stipulate this bet as well. Uh, you will be receiving two dozen golf balls, personalized, uh, and you're not going to want to use them. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put that out there right now. They're going to uh, uh, they're going to be. I hope you get a hole in one with one of them, so you have to forever leave it <laughs> on your mantle. But you're you're gonna yeah, you're gonna you're gonna want to run through these bad
2: boys. You know what Joe? By the way, my golf game is going off the tee. I'll probably you won't have them long? Quickly, so that's okay. all right with me. Um, all right. Maybe maybe
1: I'll balls. give you maybe I'll give you one uh, one dozen un uh, unfettered maybe you know, uh, one if, dozen unfettered.
2: If I don't like the personalization, Joe, I can just get a little sharpie, one of those little golf sharpies, and cover my you know draw my own unique mark over that customization. Yeah, yeah but
1: you know, but you know what's under there. You know what's under there, and I don't uh, it's it's forever. It's forever under that marker. So when you go to line up a putt and you're looking at it, you're just all you're going to be able to think about is. Is these two words that are that are going to be on the golf ball? So
2: two words, interesting. Yes. Two words.
1: Now you have ooh, there's clues. Now you have clues. You can do some guessing. I was going to guess um, it was Garfield, but is Garfield? Yeah, no, it's not Garfield. That's a that's a good guess. It's a good guess, but uh, no, it's not. It's not. And I'm not going to ruin it. I'm going to have you when you get said golf balls. I'm going to have you tell the good people of the podcast what uh, what exactly those balls read.
2: Okay. Well, that means it's it's on air appropriate, so it can't be that bad.
1: Um. Yeah. But we've sworn on here before too, so <laughs> Oh goodness. Well Matt, I could I could uh, wax poetic about Tiger and, and what this weekend really meant for him, for golf, for uh, for everyone, but uh we got plenty to get to today. So uh, any final thoughts on Tiger before we before we take it to the turf?
2: No, we're on to the Ryder Cup.
1: We're on yes, we're under the Ryder on Cup. Uh, the coverage hours are not conducive for the American viewer, but uh Still you watching. and I I know I know we'll get. To we should as take much, shifts as much as we can. Yeah, we should and, take uh, like
2: two-hour shifts. Like you take the early one because you know it's only midnight there. You go to bed at two. You text me. I get up. I take the shift from there. We just we trade off every two hours.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll just pass the baton and yeah. uh, we'll, we'll get where we need to be. But um, it's it's obviously going to be a blast as the Ryder Cup usually is. There's no way to avoid the outcome anymore. And then like watch watch the retape. But, no, you uh, just you got to watch it. You gotta suck it United you gotta watch it, United man. States team, I think uh, on paper far and beyond the superior team uh, this season, but they don't play these things on paper, especially
2: and, in the Ryder Cup. It seems like on paper doesn't mean anything. To really. me, it doesn't matter.
1: United States, Europe, the format, the team aspect, the passion. It always seems like there's a European slant. I, I always feel like the Euros have a little bit of a of a <laughs> downhill. Uh, of, of a downhill go at it because they uh, I, I don't know if it's that spanish uh, that's intensity or something that just lends nicely to the format but uh, i always feel like the americans are playing from behind and i think that's largely because of what's happened over the last decade is that uh, yeah, we haven't experienced
2: the, much american success in yeah. the Cup. so the
1: uh, the americans looking for the first uh, First Ryder Cup win on non-U.S. soil since I believe the n- early '90s. If I'm not mistaken, it's uh, been it's, be- it's been I be- a while. Yeah, so That's uh, all I it's can say. been a, it's been a long time. They're looking to get it done in France at Le Golf International. Um, so it's going to be. And it's and another exciting weekend for golf fans, at least those who are willing to wake up and uh, and bear the crazy hours. But Matt, uh, who who's a guy on this U.S. roster that you think is going to surprise? Don't give me the, don't give me the Patrick Reed. Don't give me the the you know run-of-the-mill decision. Who's who's going to be the difference maker in a big moment? You think this week?
2: I think for me, the the X factor, and it's hard to call him an X factor now because of his career path and and how. Successful a career he's had, but it's Phil Mickelson for me. We, we've seen yeah. two different fills at, at times this year. We've seen the one early on who you know in Mex—I think it was Mexico City where he beat you know outdueled Justin Thomas uh, down the stretch to win the WGC. And we've seen the one who struggled the majors to even make the cut sometimes. And Phil's had a very up and down year, and obviously he's aging a little bit, but he's always a guy who's you know had some pretty good success this year and made some pretty big shots. Also, guy's been there t- a bunch of times before, and for me, that's the X factor. If we get good Phil. If we get the fill that we've had, you know, flash this year, like I was talking about at the WGC stuff like that, I think the U.S. has a pretty good chance. But if we get the one who's you know struggling off the tee, who finishing 13 over at the Tour Championship, (laughs) like for me, it depends on which fill we get. Yeah, I think
1: uh, I think that's a really good pick. I think that's a really good point. Um, I think the biggest X factor in this is so many years in the past, the captain has. Uh, kind of fought his way into knots that obviously didn't happen last uh, last mm-hmm. time. I think what was it? Azinger was the winning captain.
2: Uh, Paul I believe Azinger so. last, I believe so.
1: yeah. I think Paul Azinger was the was the captain in Minnesota two years ago, um, and this year it's uh, it's Jim Furyk, if I'm not mistaken. And I think
2: Furyk is the perfect guy for the job. But the assistants course, are pretty are pretty great too, with Kucher and Zach Johnson, two guys who have been their alternates. Excuse me, who've been yeah. there before? And I think David Duval is the other one.
1: On course my uh my Factor pick and it's not it's pretty obvious but I think just for him personally this is a it, this is a good moment and I think he's going to perform really well uh despite his recent struggles. I think Dustin Johnson's going to have a really big weekend. I think he's going to go out there and dominate. Um, I don't know much about this course if these guys could imp- incapacitate it with their length. I think the US is the longer of the two squads but yeah. I think Dustin uh not to get too um tissues and tears about this, but I think he needs this right now. Uh, he's obviously... Well, he's going through some personal stuff yeah. again, and Dustin's a guy who's been through a lot of personal stuff in the past and just been pretty ho-hum about it, kept his mouth shut, and always returned to a, a dominant state, but uh, that was that was drug-induced, that was um, other problems, that was too much partying, not focusing on his golf. Wrong but now pair of it, socks. Wrong pair of socks. Now it's familial, though. So he, he's dealing... Yeah. With what sounds like a pretty messy breakup with the mother of his child, it, and, um, I, I did
2: see a photo on Twitter of Pauline Gretzky in Paris. So she's in Paris. I okay, did, well, I that's did what, see a picture. Now, who knows if that's you know recent, but maybe somebody last did night. Last I, did I read see on the Twitter of her in Paris.
1: Last I read, Dustin was – he said, you know, all relationships go through stuff. We're trying to work through some stuff of our own. So holding out hope there for them and and obviously the whole family dynamic. But what better for a guy to get his head straight than to be around the boys in – in a high-pressure situation, trying to get it done for the U.S., take your mind off things, and to boot if if uh, Paulina is showing that support and she is in, in Paris, even better on him. So I think it's a I think it's a good get right for, uh, for Dustin, and, and not only for him personally, but I think he's going to channel that into some really positive play.
2: I mean, we've said it a bunch of times on the podcast here. He is, when he's at his best, the most talented player in the world. It's just he's not. It's he. He struggles with that consistency. To always be in his best, but when he's showing his flashes, Tiger included, anybody right now today is not as good as Dustin Johnson when he's playing the best golf he can. So I'm with you. If he's playing, if he's playing well, the U.S. can be really hard to beat.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Again, coverage starting I believe uh, Thursday morning around two a.m. Central Time. If I'm not mistaken, let's, let's or go, let's
2: do it early, uh, early to bed, time. early to bed. And then let's set the alarm and let's, uh, yeah,
1: I'm going to sleep gonna on catch, the couch
2: while we're watching the Ryder cup.
1: I'm going to catch the first, uh, first couple hours here on the night side, maybe sleep a couple hours, get out for, for the late, uh, for the late round. So, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun as the Ryder cup always is. And it's a merch money grab. I'm going to buy so oh, much merch. I do every two years. Like I have... Well, I mean more rider cup merchandise sponsor their sponsor, is, their sponsor
2: is Polo still is Polo, it? Polo does just, a
1: fantastic job with the RLX stuff How
2: can so, you not uh,
1: go out there and get yourself a hat get yourself a quarter zip I'm a sucker for a quarter zip so uh, we, we, we might be doing a little, in this might fall be weather. Might be doing a little Perfect. shopping this weekend, Matthew. Yeah. But uh, like we said, plenty to get to here on the Moose and Runes podcast, episode 72. Let's take it over to the gridiron, where there's a bunch to talk about, including our division-leading Bears, who sit at 2 and one And I'll say it every week, they should be 3-0. and oh, But uh, the 2 and one Bears sit there atop the division for the first time since, I believe, 2014 was what? Uh,
2: 2013. Was the, the 2013, 2013, 2013 uh, Chris Conte game.
1: So obviously, still early in the season, but uh, nonetheless, can't be, can't be marginalized. What this defense has been able to do in the early going, and uh, the offense's ability to uh, hang on their coattails. But Matt, uh, let's talk about this this matchup last week. Uh, I, I, we, I rewatched the tape yesterday on, on YouTube, kind of just I know mm-hmm. NFL does a great job of doing quick cuts and stuff, and and to watch that stuff again. And I'll stay on the positive side right off the bat. My biggest takeaway is that. This defensive line, run or pass, is resetting the line of scrimmage said, on man, every play. They
2: get off the ball so incredibly well. It's a, like you said; it's it's a half yard, yard in the opponent's backfield every time.
1: It's it's unbelievable, and it's without fail. And I think that type of penetration, teams are going to start gaming against it. But you can only do so much. You can only go hard count so many times. You can only um, scheme draws up the middle so many times. It, mm-hmm. it, it's it's havoc back there. It's it's chaos, and we saw it again. Khalil Mack doing it with – he's averaging a sack and a fumble a game, and if you're getting that type of production out of a guy like that, everyone else around him is going to eat. It's unbelievable.
2: I mean, it's conceivable to say that without Khalil Mack, the Bears might be 0-3 right now.
1: I said it – I said it uh, – I, I mean, said it yesterday. It's it's not. I said he's at least worth a a win of these three wins. I'm yeah. not saying that any one of those wins should be contributed or no, I,
2: I'm not saying directly it's attributed to him. him, but without some of the plays he made, without how effective he's been on, without
1: the, field. the excitement that he's brought, without the intensity yeah. that he's brought to that defense, without a lot. the without the options that he's given Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio brought seven on fourth down at Josh Rosen which I want to point out because I loved that rookie quarterback standing in the pocket on fourth and 14 or whatever it was, bring everybody at him and shell four at the top. Don't let anyone pass you. Yep. We're okay. Giving up a first down here. Don't give up the touchdown. Let's go get the quarterback. And I he think, never had a chance. They turned him into he a pancake, learned, that play.
2: I think Vic learned a little bit yeah, it, from his lack of blitzing against Green Bay in that second half. I think mm-hmm. if you you could ask him and he can go back and do it all over again, he'd send a lot more pressure than he did at Aaron Rodgers. But it's nice to see a coach like that, like you said, he's growing. He saw I, I got a rookie in the pocket here for, I guess, let's throw in a rookie who needs to put on a last second drive. I, I, I that was odd, but I got a rookie here who would, that was you know, a fourth really down. Let's just send a ton of pressure at him and you know. Let, let's yeah, you don't let's do go.
1: that. You don't do that when you're facing Aaron Rodgers. Maybe you bring a little extra pressure, but no, Aaron you don't Rodgers send knows it is.
2: but you know what I mean. Aaron knows where his
1: hot where his hot is. Like he knows where he's gonna go if he sees seven coming at him and Josh Rosen maybe doesn't know that. Or yeah. he knows that, he just doesn't can't readily he, he go can't, find. No, he, can't go find that information in his brain while he's got Khalil Mac bearing. It's out. hard
2: to adjust to that, f- that speed on the fly through your first drive, having that much pressure on it.
1: Uh, I came home from from work last night, had a couple glasses of vino, and uh, I'd like to scribble down a couple notes here, sure. uh, just things that I want to want to get to. And I have at the bottom of this page right here. I don't remember writing this, but nice. uh, it that's says, always good. It says Mac equal Jesus. Uh, okay. So that sounds. That if, if you, you can expound, expound upon that, it just <laughs> says
2: Mac equals sign Jesus. Well, so Jesus was. I, I was our, feeling spiritual. Jesus was our savior, and Khalil he Mac was. right now appears to be the Bears' savior. Maybe this that's the is Khalil Mac's second team, the second coming. There you I, go. I'm just, well, the second coming hasn't
1: come yet. We're spitballing, but just, uh, yeah, then it's, we're all dead. it's fantastic to watch that defense play. But we've seen this movie time and time before, and it doesn't end well. Um, It needs to be a complete effort. It needs to be an offensive and defensive effort. And not only is the offensive effort there in the run game, that's what makes this even worse is the fact that it's, it's there. The defense is there. The run game is there. It is Mitch Trubisky's inability to pass the ball, Mitch Trubisky's inability to drive the ball down the field, Mitch Trubisky's inability to get his team where it needs to be in certain moments that is really worrying me. We cannot have a Rex Grossman situation here and I'm not overreacting on Mitch. I think that he he's still showing signs. There was a he threw a 20 22 yard out route to Trey Burton in the second quarter that was bigly.
2: That yeah. was you don't don't see many guys making another one down the sideline to Allen Robinson. Watch so that. Kind of watch that again because I had a problem. I
1: had a problem with that pass the second time I looked at it.
2: Okay. He hit it.
1: He hit it late. It was a good hole ball uh, on, on a little go route to Allen Robinson down the right sideline, but he hit it late and he pushed it out there. He wished it out there. He has zero confidence That's, in anything beyond 20 yards and it and it worries me
2: that's where yeah. I want to I I do agree with you because I think I've been the ultimate Mitch defender so far uh, since we've started this podcast I think and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still I, I don't know exactly where you are in Mitch and I'm sure you'll you'll say it at some point I'm still in I'm, the trending of, I'm
1: trending down I'm trending down there's we definitely
2: to- worrisome there's, there, there's 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 reasons to be concerned but I think it's only fair that you know we, we said going into this year we said going into the off season, he still needs a lot of time and especially in a brand new offense that's let's let's face it this isn't an excuse this is fact this is an offense that is 10 times 100 times more complicated than the one he was in last year he's doing a lot more than he's asked to do and what what what's what's my big issue is is not his physical abilities his tools is we we've seen him regress i think mentally from last year and yeah. i don't know if that's because he's still trying to learn this offense. I hope it's more processing because, everything. I'm hoping it's more because he's still learning the offense and not because he's feeling the pressure of the offense. Um, because I, those are obviously two completely different things. You have a quarterback panicking under pressure that that's, that's not a good thing, but if it's just him, you know, still learning, still kind of going through the progressions of what is a very, a very complicated, I would imagine tough to learn offense from a quarterback's perspective. I can live with that, but it's, it's, it's not knowing for me that's the difficult part because we have seen his accuracy regress from last year. But one of the mm-hmm. things we talked about last year was, yeah, he wasn't asked to do a ton, but he was a fairly accurate quarterback. In the in the pocket on the run, you were rarely saying, wow, he really missed that receiver. He way overthrew him, he way threw it behind him. He was usually putting balls where they needed to be. And this year he hasn't really done that as much. I saw a stat, I forgot who sent who screenshot of the tweet and sent it to me. In, the, in a clean pocket, he is the second-worst quarterback rating in the NFL, but outside of the pocket and on the move, he has the eighth-highest quarterback rating in the NFL. So that, to me, is they need to figure out ways. Matt Nagy needs to figure out ways to get him kind of out in space and doing what makes him more comfortable. And, and maybe so the idea yeah, is but we need to get him outside of his comfort zone and keep him in the pocket because that's the only way he's going to. We're going to see what we got, and you're going to win. And if that's what they're doing with it, that's fine. But But we're
1: playing football on Sundays, not Saturdays, Matt. You cannot run play action. You cannot roll him out every play and cut the field in half. The guys are too good. He has to be able to throw from the pocket. That feeds directly into my biggest worry with him is that I have on multiple occasions seen him roll out of a clean pocket, seen him spin out of a clean pocket, see him put himself in worse positions than he originally was. And now – if that's an issue of happy feet or not seeing his reads, whatever it is. But like you said, his decision-making has really, really regressed over these last few weeks. And it, it worries me because we're going to have, we're going to have a situation where we have a team who's ready to win now. And we always talk about the window. We have a, we have a defense and a run game that is playoff bound, but a quarterback that is holding you back. And that window, like we said, only stays open for so long.
2: I think the problem, it's not necessarily a problem with this the the window is open argument. The window is open right now. And the window was just, it was just open. This is the beginning of the opening of that window. I think we talked about it. Before the Khalil Mack trade, we were talking about how we think this is, you know, a seven, eight win team in a good year. And I know the Khalil Mack trade fast forward. It changes those, expectation. It, it does it changes change expectation. expectation a little bit, but it, it can change those expectations for the defense. It can't change your expectation for the development of your quarterback because it, what it's about like, your
1: team? What about your team expectation? I think it, 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 it immediately it, it makes demands it, more out of your quarterback. It does, he but he can't reach still, that demand. Okay. Then you it's going to be a painful process.
2: So then you're saying we shouldn't have traded for Khalil Mack because our quarterback wasn't ready for it? No, 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 like, no, that, not like, what I'm saying at all. I'm saying Mitch we, Trubisky we needs to quarter- raise his play what? to those around him. I agree he does, but I still think it's a quarterback that we know. Like, I'm not. I'm don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to defend his play Sunday. It wasn't good. He, yeah, he made one or two throws that said, "Wow, you know that was nice." He, he made a couple plays, but for the most part, I know he finished with this his snap. You cannot Joe, force just, two turnovers Joe, and win 16-14. to 14. Can I just talk? You cannot. No, because can we've talk? seen this before. I need we've to seen talk. this talk. You're not letting me talk. Go ahead. I don't know, know how talk.
1: you want to apologize for the guy's play anymore. He I'm not apologizing
2: better. for the play. I just said it was bad. All I'm saying is we went into this season knowing this is a full year timeline of progression. This is basically his rookie year because last year, for me, Development didn't really count because he was in a vanilla offense with vanilla play calling that asked him to do absolutely nothing, and he was already a quarterback that we knew wasn't ready to play. He's a quarterback who's still way ahead of his timeline of when he should be playing. All I'm saying is just because our defense got that much better, that doesn't mean our offense or quarterback is all of a sudden, oh wow, he's now developed because our defense is good. No, he still needs time in a new offense. I get that our defense is ready to win. I get that it's frustrating. I get we haven't seen the signs we want to from Mitch, but that doesn't mean that his clock is all of a sudden, oh, wait, we got a great defense. We got Khalil Mack. okay, our quarterback's ready to play. No, he's not. He needs time to develop. He needs the season. And I know that's not what Bears fans want to hear. I know we're excited because we finally have a team that can actually do something. But that doesn't make our quarterback magically developed and ready to win. And I'm I'm very worried by some of the signs. I'm worried by the happy feet. I'm worried by the decision-making. But that doesn't mean we just need to pull the plug and say this dude sucks and we're done with him. No, no I mean we need you gotta, to. But that doesn't mean we can cancel him and say he's not going.
1: We're to be handcuffed to him. We're handcuffed to him for the next at least two three, years. Three, three years. years. So we're either going to sink or swim with him. That's where this angst comes from with me. As I said. You can't get you can't force four turnovers, get four extra possessions, and only score set sixteen points and win by two points. It just I'm not doesn't saying that's acceptable. I because your I defense, agree with you. your defense is not going to be able to do that every single week. So, Matt, while we do have to give him time, his timeline just got moved up. Yeah, he needs to understand. I, he needs to understand the situation he's in right now because guys are going to be up for contracts two years from now. It's not going to look the same on either side of the ball, and. I'm not saying it's a win-now approach, but the word you used that bothers me is his progression. It is a regression right now. Whether you want to say from last year to now, from week one to now, we are seeing Mitch Trubisky get worse on a weekend-to-weekend basis. And I know it's a small sample size of three games this season, but if we look at it in week 10 and he's only gotten worse, well, then you have a real problem. Then you have to think about drafting a quarterback in the first round next year. Like We don't have a first round pick, but you have to think about drafting a late round find or you need to think about in the next, uh, you know, in two years from now, cutting bait with him. Then you have to really start thinking about the immediate direction of the team. And and, and it's not an overreaction because these things happen fast. And uh, look at Seattle, who was going to win 10 Super Bowls. What are they doing now? They just lost to us. These windows don't stay open forever, and theirs was a different situation where they were waiting on the defensive side of the ball to come around, and it never did. Uh, we're waiting on a quarterback to come around, which is much much less likely to come around than a defensive uh, attack. So I think that we're in a pretty precarious situation right now, and, and these feelings are only bubbling up in me because of the way I felt when they drafted him. I want to be positive about this kid. I started off on the negative side. I gave him the benefit of the doubt, but you're only going to go you're only going to get so much benefit of the doubt. You need to see progress in his play and we have not yet.
2: I get the frustration. I I do. Like I'm because This I've isn't been, baseball. We don't have 8 years to do this. Because I've been like pretty much the opposite of you with him since he's been drafted. I've been kind of the one you know, cheerleading, hoping he's the one who comes out and, and figures it out and is your quarterback of the future. We all do. We, we all hope he no, does. But I, you know what I mean? Since we've started this podcast, I think the first podcast we did was post yes, track. Been, We've of been on opposite ends of the where we are on Mitch spectrum for the most part. Drafting a high schooler. I, I think what you said, was you, you touched on it earlier when when you were your, your last point, like, yeah, if, if it, this is week 10, and he's still not getting better, then we have a very big problem. That's where I'm okay with it. If this is Week 10 and he's still not getting better, okay, let's can panic.
1: Can I get you to sign some papers so if, when Week 10 comes around we're, we're having the same game, conversation? If we're 10
2: games into the regular season and I haven't seen any progression, I will happily agree with you. But we're not 10 games into the regular season. We're three games into the regular season in a brand new offense that not just Mitch is running for the first time, that everybody in that offense is running for the first time. And I'm not blaming the rest of the offense mostly for what's going on, but there are issues where probably they're making mistakes, where there are people lining up. I think Anthony Miller took two pretty bad, you know, it was either illegal shifts or illegal formation penalties, kind of Mm -hmm. backs them up, which isn't – I'm not saying that's something your quarterback shouldn't be able to overcome, but it's stuff like that that doesn't help your quarterback who's clearly a little bit shaken in his confidence right now and is still learning. You get backing off up in the first, second, and 15, all that type of stuff. So I'm with you in the fact – that I am worried about Mitch Trubisky. I don't know if he's the guy anymore, but I also don't want to rush to these judgments that I'm not saying you are, but that you know everybody seems to be that saying, you know, this guy's done, this we, we can't win with this guy when four weeks ago before the Bears traded for Khalil Mack, every single and I, I get the Mack trade jumped the timeline a little bit, but I still don't think that just because they went out and got this elite defensive end who's, you know if not for Patrick Mahomes, is the MVP of the NFL right now. Um, that doesn't mean your quarterback just magically developed overnight. And I still think that patience is what you you have to have some patience with Mitch Trubisky. It, it sucks, and I know we want to be good, and I, I I know you're still more in that camp too, even though we're frustrated with the performances we've seen. I'm not saying they're acceptable. I'm just saying it's part of the growing pain, growing process with quarterbacks. And I think the perfect example is the one that's going on in kansas city right now they had a quarterback in patrick mahomes who wasn't ready to play when they were drafted and they had the fortune of having a guy like alex smith who not only was ready to play you know was a very good quarterback and was able to start all last year but was a fantastic mentor for the guy behind him and i'm not trying to say mitch trubisky is as talented as mahomes or is going to be as good as mahomes but like he had a guy to sit behind he had a guy to learn behind and he's running the same offense he just learned. He spent a year basically just studying and being, you know, sitting and being a sponge and absorbing all that knowledge around him, not having to hit the reset button going into year two.
1: Well, week 10, when it comes around and we're hitting the panic button, just know that Pat Mahomes could have been a Chicago Bear too. So You're um, right. It's, uh, it's another situation of where where we're going to remember the Mac trade from 2018. Um, there's been some ineptitude by this front office and uh, – unless you can put all the pieces together you're not going to win and uh i think we're we're missing a piece right now hopefully he can come and do his own and uh be that final piece to a a super bowl recipe a playoff recipe a uh a team that can sustain any sort of success which is something that we haven't seen but uh it's going to like you said it take progress and uh mitch has not done much to inspire any sort of uh, positive thought about it because it's 2018 you got Andy Reid's playbook you should be scoring 30 points a game I agree Uh, you can't you can't settle for 16 points off of four turnovers, um, and and you can't have him putting the ball on the ground once and throwing an interception. Both of those were on him.
2: Yeah, he dropped the, the ball. so I didn't see the fumble because I was in the car going to work, and he I, was honestly, trying to escape the I pocket and the looked like he needed out of his own hands. Yeah, I've heard some people on the interception say, "Oh, you know, it's a tip ball. You can't blame him." And I, that was yeah, but, and that was a bad interception. You, you, yeah. I, I've never played quarterback. You've never played quarterback. I know you, when you're, you know when, the you're when, yes, when, have, when you're throwing. You know the, you know the you, weight of that ball. Um, I played quarterback my okay, whole that's, childhood, that's first great. of all. Second of all, that's I have great.
1: the highest passer rating of any NCAA athlete of all time. Two for two with two touchdowns. Ask about me. Reverse pass. Wasn't so you, uh, you, you, hit, go.
2: You, you hit Dayton in the end zone for that one touchdown?
1: Uh, no, uh, I hit Alex Garvey and Tate Musselman. Uh, <laughs> Alex Garvey was a Tate deep ball count. on the money. Shout out to Tate Musselman for making a one-handed catch and making me look good. I, but now, no, let's not sell me short here. He was the check down. The deep ball was to Dayton they didn't bite on the fake tates crossing the field at 25 yards put one a little behind him he makes a play and got in so two for two two touchdowns so don't don't come at my quarterback hey, credentials i was a quarterback
2: much. as well okay in grade school I scored, I scored a touchdown no on the undefeated no. eight no jayhawks his backup quarterback oh, well um done. but look back to what we were originally talking about <laughs> um that, that screen fact he, he threw it kind of on a line right at the hands i mean if you. Everybody yeah, who's ever the coached, of watched ball. football, seen a screen pass, you know you kind of got to float it over the top of those right into your running back's arms where he's over there in space because those guys are both facing you, they're both coming at you. They're not going to be able to turn and go get him. You have to float that right over and get it in. He didn't. He kind of threw it on a line. It, it seemed it was a microcosm of kind of what he tried to do, it seems like, all game, and he's not really throwing the ball. He's trying to just kind of place it. And that's what's leading to these, you know, kind of inaccurate throws, throws behind, not the right pace. So you just kind of trying to, you know, flick it right in their place instead of actually throwing the football. But Matt, I Joe, I feel we're two and we're, uh, one. We're in first place. Yeah, it's it's
1: all good things when you look at the when you look at the standings. But I feel like we're going to be having this conversation a few more times this season. But uh, let's just leave it at that Likely. and uh, hope hope that um, that Mitch can can figure things out because he's got no excuse. There are. Uh, there are nothing but tools around him. Cause that's the, to me, I mean, last point I'll make here, but to me, that's the biggest difference too is this isn't Rex Grossman. This isn't no, Kyle. Orton, this there. isn't even Jay Cutler. Yeah. He's not throwing to, um, Dez Clark and Sid hey, Muhammad. Don't and, knock like, those not to teams. drag those guys or the guys that were on the Super Bowl team. But it, this is, this is a team equipped with weapons yeah. and, uh, and we we got to see him take advantage of those weapons, but uh, plenty of NFL football around the league. Ooh, wait, it was can a, I make one more point weekend. before before the yeah, Bears, It will be very
2: quick. Um, it was really nice to see a kicker in a Bears uniform. I know we haven't oh, had many important kicks no for a couple in of Cody years. <laughs> Why? He well, for, yeah. He, okay, he missed the first one because on he hits track. line drives that kind of knuckle. But yeah, you know, whatever. he missed the first one on the opening drive and then came back and drilled three, including one pretty yep. important kick with the game very on clutch. the line. And that Very was cool. something we, uh, I don't like. We said we haven't seen many big kicks over the last few years since Robbie mm-hmm. Gold's departure. Even in that last year when the Bears were kind of, I think it was Fox's first, where the Bears were kind of flirting with maybe a playoff spot, and Gold missed some important kicks. Like it's nice to see a Bears kick or actually, you know, drill a in question important kick down the middle. We haven't seen that in a while. And it was
1: nice. Shout out to shout out to Cody Parkey, friend of the podcast. Yeah, maybe uh, let's get him on. But. But Matt, let's uh, let's whip it around the league here. I, I know we've been enjoying doing this, but uh, we'll kick things off on a Thursday nighter. Jets and Browns. Uh, the Browns get into the wind column for the first time in however long. Twenty sixteen. They open the beer coolers. Uh, Baker Mayfield comes in uh, with a deficit and and wins the ball game. Uh, biggest takeaway there for me is uh, Baker Baker Mayfield's a damn gamer and the kid that's that's going to be an individual who it doesn't take very long to process and progress he is football through and through and i think he's going to be really good for that team and that franchise
2: yeah obviously i think baker was fantastic and that's the top story i think another one is sam darnold's kind of the opposite there i'm I'm not saying the talent isn't there it clearly is but he's going to take a he's going to take a little more time before he's you know that good that ready to be a winning quarterback
1: Twenty-one to seventeen Browns in a winner. Uh, we obviously touched upon the Bears and the Cardinals in, in uh, extent. My but, takeaway
2: uh, is first place.
1: Yeah, first place. You beat a zero two team, sent them to zero three, and we're sitting at two and one. Sixteen fourteen. Saints Falcons in an absolute what? barn burner. Just what a, a fun a, game. A shootout. That was a quintessential Saints Falcons matchup. Forty-three to thirty-seven. The Saints walk away victorious. Uh, in atlanta drew
2: Brees timeless i guess would be my takeaway but he he set the the completion record right then he jumped brett Favre, i believe yep and then i for me the takeaway was the uh the drew Brees spin-off touchdown where he kind of rolled out to the left somehow wasn't tackled somebody tried to lay him out instead of wrapping him up he spun off it went in the end zone was looking like a regular cam newton out there
1: yeah, we need to stop comparing every 6-foot quarterback to Drew Brees because They're not. this is a first this is a first ballot Hall of Famer who in my eyes will go down as one of the most underrated players I was, to ever. I literally step that on a word was field. just
2: stuck in my head when you said it. He is the most yeah. underrated quarterback of because played most of his career alongside Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Most underrated quarterback in his era and has done more with less than probably anybody except for Tom Brady.
1: And I think there's something to be said about um, multiple Super Bowl winners Obviously everyone Wants to get one But uh, once you got That 2-3-4 range then, uh, then we're really Talking legendary status Drew has been Unable to, uh, get, that to get back to that Stage and get it done But um, he Got it done on Sunday 49ers Chiefs 49ers uh, Mount a late Comeback Chiefs win 38-27 to 27. My two takeaways Here 49ers season's over as Jimmy Garoppolo goes down with an ACL injury set to have surgery in the next two weeks, and uh, the Chiefs are the best team in football. I think that you put them up against the L.A. Rams and anything can happen, but I think that the Chiefs are just so far superior from a schematic standpoint and an execution standpoint. Everyone, Everyone still loves this West Coast dink and dunk, and they are saying we're taking it to a different coast. They're just airing it out downfield. I'd like to see their percentage of plays that are targeted 20-plus yards downfield because Pat Mahomes is stretching the field. He's scaring defenses and he's absolutely fantastic. Again, 24-38, 314 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. He's He's a winning quarterback who has learned this system, who loves this system. And if you watch, I watched this entire Chiefs Snyder's game. Uh-huh. Some of the motions that they're running pre-snap, some of the screens that they're running, it's, it's next level. No one has done it. No one's doing it. They ran a little zip zap screen where they brought, um, Tyreek Hill across the formation like twice and then swung him back out to the left Mahomes pumps that way he then turns to the right where it looks like a screen is set up for Kareem Hunt but straight up the middle is Travis Kelsey with no one near him he flips it to Travis Kelsey like right in where the inside the tackle box maybe Mm -hmm. the guard was set and Travis Kelsey goes for 15 yards it's just schematically superior to everything I'm seeing out there offensively
2: yeah uh I think you hit it very well. I, my, one of my takeaways is the Chiefs have not just Patrick Mahomes, but I think more offensive weaponry and firepower around their quarterback than anybody we've seen in quite some time, honestly. It, they don't really have a weakness in that, you know, receiver running back room. Um mm-hmm. I'm going to still just pump the brakes on them being, you know, the best team in the end. Right now they're the best team in the NFL. But we've seen these hot starts from Andy Reid teams, from Andy Reid Chief teams. Granted, they haven't had a quarterback like this doing what Mahomes has done. But we, like last year, you know, they got off the big five and O start, and then they kind of wavered down the stretch a little bit. So I think they're really good, but I'm going to reserve judgment until you know it's it's Week Ten and they're still you know clicking on all cylinders offensively. Because I still I, I want to see them do this throughout the season, not just get off these hot starts like Andy Reid teams have done in the past.
1: Raiders and Dolphins 28 to 20. The Dolphins walk away victorious, now 3 and 0, one of three undefeated teams. The Raiders and John Gruden move to 0 and 3. Uh, my takeaway here is that um, this is a really bad Raiders team. Yeah. That's all I, that's it's all I weird. They're, have. it's
2: they're getting off to quick that starts, but then they just it's a team that is not
1: convinced by their coach. It is a team that um, doesn't have the ability to finish like you said. It's uh it's a defensive group that's still discouraged by a by a massive loss, and uh, I don't see them doing much of anything because everything that this franchise has done, uh, the coaching, the 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 management, the ownership, um, it is with 2020 in mind. They are already in Las Vegas mentally. Yeah, and, uh, it's, it's a shame because the, my, because
2: a a diehard fan base doesn't deserve it. That's my takeaway too. That the, the Raiders are. In their own heads, their own, I don't know if it's is it next year or the year after, but they, they're they already in Vegas. They're kind of seemingly packing it in, and hey, good for the Dolphins for a 3-0 start. I don't think they're as good as a 3-0 team right now, but that's no. what their record says, and if you get off to that 3-0 start, you never really know how things are going to crumble down the stretch, and they might find their way sneaking into the playoffs, so good for them.
1: Minnesota Buffalo, the Bills walking away with a 27-6 win. Unbelievable. Uh, coming out of the gates with 17 points in the first quarter. Uh, they don't score a point in the second half, but uh, 27 in the first half was enough to get it done against the Vikings. Just completely unexpected. The Vikings moved to 1-1-1. and The Bills to 1-2. Um, I still think this is a really good Vikings team. They just haven't been able to put together winning efforts in the recent past, but I couldn't make sense of what was going on with a rookie
2: quarterback and Josh Allen this is the first of a couple different examples of just the nfl's weird man like it's it's yeah. so hard to predict everybody is actually like you know good because they're good enough to be in pro football so anything can happen on a given sunday um i think the highlight for me was josh allen doing the i, I forgot who he hurtled over might have been anthony barr but it, that, that's one of those as a coach you, you pull him aside when he comes to the signs like hey that was awesome great play never do it again
1: yeah, that's, uh, to me, that's not even a, a great play, never do it again. That's just a never do it again or you're sitting because you see what happened when a quarterback tries to do too much in Jimmy Garoppolo last week as well, and that's just a guy trying to cut back inside and make a play, and boom, there goes a knee. It was non-contact. I understand it's not avoidable, but as a quarterback, you're trying to put yourself in as few situations like that as possible, and uh, I guarantee you next time Anthony Barr sees – uh, Josh Allen coming up the middle, whether he's sliding or not, Anthony Barr's cleaning someone's clock, and uh. Uh, it, it's um it, it's, it's it was a stupid decision that made for a great little snippet. But um, uh, again, like everything in that game, it just didn't make much sense.
2: It was just weird. <laughs>
1: yeah. On to the Eagles and Colts. The defending champions moved to two and one with a twenty to sixteen victory over the Colts. I didn't see much of this one. It was Carson Wentz's uh, first game back from the ACL injury. He put up a line of twenty five to thirty seven for two hundred and fifty five yards and one touchdown. Uh, I think that you know very much. You look at at the future of the league there between uh, Wentz and Luck, and I think you see uh, a much brighter future, I guess, in Philadelphia. But uh, Andrew Luck definitely. Uh, as we said with Drew Brees, doing a lot with a little. in Indian mm-hmm. has for for the entirety long of his career he's since he's been out there. Other than the the tail, I believe he got the tail end of uh, Reggie Robin Wayne Harrison. Reggie, Reggie Wayne. Wayne, excuse me. Yeah, tail end of uh, of Reggie Wayne there. So, uh, other than that, not really many targets for him. But he's uh, he's still when you watch him, he's so he's so form oriented. Everything's very by the letter. It's by the book and he gets it done in that way he's a very regimented guy it seems like and i think there's still a lot there when it comes to andrew luck it's just getting him in the right situation but uh, my takeaway would be carson wentz i guess look good
2: yeah i mean carson wentz gonna take a little bit of time to get fully back but i'm sure the eagles are happy to have him came back and won. still not sure who the eagles are this year if they're kind of going through a little bit of a super bowl hangover or if it's mm-hmm. just kind of getting their quarterback back up to where he needs to be uh as far as the colts um Andrew Luck's good enough to keep them in just about every game they're in. They're not going to win all those games, but I think he's going to win them some games.
1: Yeah. Uh, on to Packers-Redskins. Redskins win 31-17. to um, My takeaway here is just a, a smile from ear to ear.
2: That's yeah. all i got for you. Nice to see. Um, Aaron <laughs> Rodgers is, is not healthy. Um, I, I think it might benefit everybody. Not by any stretch. I, I know it might be tough for them to start Deshaun Kaiser for two games, but it might be beneficial for them to just say, you know what, long-term play here, let's sit you for two, and I think you'll be a lot better down the stretch. Maybe that's not the case. I don't know. Uh, Adrian Peterson looks fantastic. He looks like he's 27 again, but mm-hmm. he, he's kind of one of those ageless talents. And I'm actually, this might be the... Controversial opinion with the way the rules written, the Clay Matthews roughing the passer was absolutely roughing the passer. Yeah, I had, I had less. Of a problem I, with I agree with you. Like in time. the
1: in the direct interpretation of the rule, that's roughing the passer, but it can't be.
2: I agree it with that It can't be. But like yeah. it, it's it's funny to me, partially because it's the Packers and I like when bad things happen to the Packers. Uh, Always, but this whole rule, these controversies, the Clay Matthews getting upset is all happening because of how they reacted to Aaron Rodgers' injury last year. They, they, mm-hmm. they all said by the letter of the law when Anthony Barr did the Rodgers last year that it, it wasn't roughing the passer, it wasn't a penalty. But they let you know that you know coming down with your body weight, that's a dirty play, and you can't finish a tackle on a quarterback, and that's a dirty play, and that's why Aaron Rodgers is hurt, and that's why the Packers aren't going to the playoffs. Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers let you know that every step of the way last year. The, the NFL does something about it. They say, okay, that's what you want, here's what you get. And... Now they're, I don't want to say paying for it, but they're paying for it a little bit. So that's some, some nice karma for me, Joe. I like seeing that. say ser, quite serendipitous. Yeah. Uh, if you will, uh, Titans and Jaguars. It, ha- oh. it happened. I, nine to six. It happens. That's, that's all I got for you. It's an AL
1: West baseball matchup here. I've seen higher scoring AL West baseball on a weekly basis than a
2: nine to six Titans Jaguars game. Uh, I saw zero of this game. I just saw. Highlights. I saw as much as Red Zone showed me, which wasn't a lot. Nothing, yeah. It existed. Um, it did indeed happen, and it's over now.
1: Marcus Mariota gets the win. Uh, Blake Bortles, another quarterback who's got all the talent in the world on the other side of the ball and uh, doesn't look like he's taking full advantage of it, at least at this point in the season. Yeah. Ravens and Broncos. The Ravens win 27 to 14. Just a another workman-like Joe Flacco day, 25 of 40, 277 yards and a touchdown. Uh, I think these are very, I think that's like looking in a mirror. It's like the Spider-Man being there. Uh, like the Ravens and the Broncos pointing at each other. Both uh, on any given Sunday can can contest any team in the league, but I don't think either is a very good football team.
2: I don't know. I think the Ravens are a better football team and I, I, I thought the Broncos were kind of a uh, a fake news type 2-0 team coming into this and this one didn't totally shock me. The Broncos kind of beat two bad-to-okay teams in tight games. Mm-hmm. I think the Ravens kind of had a, a clunker of a Thursday night and then obviously blew the Bills out of the building. But I, this is kind of what I thought would happen. I don't think the Broncos were great. I think Baltimore is going to be a team of contends for that division, par- partially because the division's not all that good.
1: Giants and Texans, uh, everybody's darling moves to the 0-3, the Houston Texans. When I say everybody, I mean mine. Uh, the New York Giants win 27-22. Uh, my takeaway here is that the giants need to move on from eli manning and into something else right now because again we talk about these windows and you have a top three running back and a top three wide receiver on the same offense and a quarterback who just i think is is beyond uh, he's past having the ability of utilizing these weapons i think that for as much as Eli Manning's done for the Giants and and their franchise, he doesn't have the ability to win anymore. He's he's, it's very much happening in a Peyton like fashion where the arm strength's going. Mm -hmm. uh, He never really had the speed, but the footwork's going and it's all going at once. And he's going to cost guys like Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham, uh, the opportunities that they, that they really deserve with the talent that
2: they have. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with Eli. I, I, just, I don't really think there's another option out there for them at quarterback at this time. If they can find one, you know, great. More power to you because they're a team that can contend in that division. But I mean, for me, it's, it's Houston. I, I'm going to guess with Deshaun Watson, it's more of his ACL still hampering I know he put up a really big mm-hmm. stat line, but a lot of that was you know garbage time when the, the Giants were playing way back and kind of let him take as many chunk yards as he wanted as long as he didn't beat him at the top. Deshaun Watson might not be everybody's, you know, MVP, you know, all perennial, all pro quarterback that, you know, he showed like he was over those four games. So I, I think um, the overreaction, yeah, trend, the, the reaction train needs to be hauled. Like he obviously has come back from ACL needs a lot of time for that, but so let's, let's pump the brakes on him being, you know, the next great quarterback. And I think it's a perfect example of quarterbacks who kind of show flashes. You can't really get fall in love was, with right away. They have to, this yeah, and it was,
1: they were, they were flashes. But if you go back and you look at those flashes, Matt, uh, it was a lot of broken plays. It was a lot of chuck and duck. It was a lot of pointing downfield and letting it rip. It wasn't like a quarterback with a mastery of his system. It mm-hmm. was it was a lot of uh, playmaking, and that's not sustainable in the NFL. No, I, I don't care. Who it you helps are, when so.
2: obviously as DeAndre Hopkins, but I'm, I, this might be the Notre Dame Homer coming out in me. I think Will Fuller. So when, the Will Fuller. Will Fuller, when he's healthy <laughs> might be is one of the most underrated the wide receivers. Like we've yeah, seen, we saw it as Notre Dame again. fans. We saw it all the time. Will Fuller makes his quarterback better than just a, than, than a lot of receivers I've seen in a long time because of his ability to go deep and beat just about anybody. We saw it at Notre Dame. Deshaun Kaiser wasn't the same quarterback when he didn't have Will Fuller yeah. to throw deep to. Deshaun Watson isn't the same quarterback when Will, Fuller's Will Fuller is now. Like DeAndre Hopkins. Will Fuller just. Will Fuller's
1: just so, oh my God, as a number two, Will Fuller is uh, he has, the exact compliment yeah. receiver. You want his ability to stride and get on the defensive back's feet in three steps.
2: He he's stretches the field better than anybody.
1: Yeah, he, he's got those guys beat because, you know, a, a normal guy feels like he's got an extra step or two to get his hips mm-hmm. around. Uh, this is not the case with Will Fuller. He's going to take, if he's on your hip, you can take two steps and be past yet and I
2: mean, uh, it's, it's been twice now it was this year week one against uh tennessee and then it was his uh his last year at notre dame when they had a night game against usc the dory jackson it seems, one of the fastest people in the nfl and all of football and twice now there's examples of him on tape just burning a dory jackson on a go route and getting behind him catching the ball for a touchdown so that shows you the elite speed yeah. that he has always and his deep ball always ability. a great always a great mid to late round pickup
1: for our fantasy lovers out there oh, yeah. next year will fuller uh he can stay healthy. That's the only question mark. There is he is a little slight,
2: but uh, those fast guys, the, the hamstring is always going to be an issue.
1: They tend to get a little get a little shaky.
2: Seahawks twenty four, Cowboys thirteen. Uh, I didn't see
1: this one. I, I didn't
2: gotta be see, honest I'm I, 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 I also I, had, I was locked in on the Bears, and then I had the White Sox and Tiger going, so I didn't see a second. I of think another.
1: Game. I think another Spider Man meme. The one, uh, two
2: teams. Uh, the consensus the, is J- Jason Garrett's season. really not a very good coach, and. The offense struggles. Ezekiel Elliott looks like he had a pretty good game, but yeah, I I can't comment too much on this one. My my division championship pick for the Cowboys doesn't look great right now.
1: Patriots 10, Lions 26, another head-scratcher here. The Lions team that looked completely inept through two weeks comes out, puts up 26 on the Patriots. I think a lot of this one was uh, Matt Patricia knowing exactly what was coming at. What was coming for him, offensively, defensively, yeah. and otherwise, um, and him game planning and and being probably the the foremost authority on game planning for the Patriots outside of Patriots facilities, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think that showed. Unfortunately, uh, uh, not unfortunately, but uh, the fact of the matter is, this is a Patriots team that is down weapons right now with Edelman still serving a suspension for another two
2: weeks, and uh, with Josh Flowers and Chung both speed, didn't play, and, I believe, defensively. Yeah, and
1: uh, I don't think uh, I don't think sound the alarms quite yet on the Patriots, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if if Josh Gordon's sleeping over at Brady's house this week because there's uh, there's got to be a sense of urgency around a one and two start as there always is in Foxborough.
2: Yeah, I think it was Chris Collinsworth who said on the broadcast something like the these aren't the Patriots; these are some guys in Patriots uniforms. They, <laughs> they just they don't have their weapons right now. They don't really have what they need. and I they know they've by choice for pretty much the last five years just kind of let some pretty good people walk out the door and you know know that they can replace them you know in their system and all that stuff but right now those guys they brought in to replace them still aren't on the field aren't healthy so you you just got to wait and see until they get you know all their weapons back and then then you can kind of make the judgment on them
1: monday night steelers buccaneers 30 to 27 the steelers come away with the win over the bucks fits magic turns it's tragic Oh. I, that's not mine. That's not mine. I read that. I was going to say, I would hope that wasn't yours. Um wow, that was a good one. But uh, the Steelers moved to 1 1 and 1 as well, Buccaneers to 2 and 1. Um, I think that my takeaway here was it's always good when Chris Conti's not on your team. Yeah, I was like, going to say, Chris Conti's been on the, been on the receiving the league, huh? end. We've been on the receiving end of that stiff arm too many times to remember. Uh, and it
2: was, it was nice to see it from a third party, third yeah. party uh, standpoint. Nice to see that happen from kind of where we are and not have to be the ones rooting for them. But uh, it's kind of the tale of two halves there. Pittsburgh got off to the unbelievable start, and Fitzpatrick didn't look good early on, and then they kind of flipped the script in the second half. But I don't think we learned much from either team other than the Steelers really, really, really needed that win, and they got it.
1: They absolutely did. And, Matt, uh, it was another exciting NFL weekend, but uh, the cursor to that was... uh, was a, a, a an, ex, an exciting uh, weekend of college football as well and uh, a lot happened across the league I think uh, you know things that we talked about Bama being on top uh, Willie Taggart being on the outs uh, things are are just being reconfirmed and uh, uh, USC team comes up with a big win but uh, I think that uh, you're starting to figure out who these teams are and it's uh, it's starting to come to light and hopefully uh This is a a Notre Dame team that can keep things rolling, and uh, with that being said, we now bring in our foremost uh, Notre Dame uh, authority. He's our guy, Uh, our Irish guy. That's Phil Goff, Phil Goff from One Foot Down. We we sat down with Phil and chatted about uh, the early going here with the Irish, and a big game coming up, Notre Dame versus Stanford this Saturday at uh, 6.30 p.m. Uh, without further ado, here's Phil Goff from One Foot Down. How do you do? Here comes number five. We couldn't keep him away for long.
0: Here he is, Phil Goff from One Foot Down, knowing all things Notre Dame football, uh, undefeated through, excuse me, five, five weeks? Four weeks? Four and oh. Four and o. Uh He's here to talk uh, some early season and uh, give us a little preview here on a big night matchup against Stanford. <laughs> Phil, thank you for joining the pod again.
3: Yeah, appreciate it. Had a blast last time, and, you know, looking forward to kicking things off with you guys again today.
0: No, Rave I, I, reviews. It, I, is what I'm hearing. Rave reviews. I was telling Rave. you earlier, the only reason we actually had you on is because we
4: had you on before a big Notre Dame night game. They went and pulled it out, so we figured we probably need to
0: have Phil back here to keep this good luck going. So, basically, yeah, Matt this, is, Matt says this, says this weekend booking, is on you. Matt does our booking strictly out of superstition, so uh, welcome back, and We'll likely see you uh, I don't know what's the next big one, Florida State. Uh Virginia,
4: Virginia tech maybe. Florida State thanks, really we'll we'll
0: we'll thanks. Uh see because that's a flex game, we will probably make that a night game. But uh to the task at hand here, Stanford on the docket this weekend, uh in South Bend. Now, I've gotten to see the Stanford team a little bit, uh, having been out here. They they actually uh, at uh, UC Davis, obviously the uh, the strength of this team is the run game, as it always is. Uh, are you comfortable with this Irish defense going up against one of the strongest rushing attacks in the nation?
3: I'm I'm honestly like confused by the Stanford rush attack right now. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, my I think one of my not great calls uh, last time I talked to you guys was uh, Bryce Love for Heisman. <laughs> um which, <laughs> and uh he's been off to uh definitely a slow start which terrifies me um mm-hmm. because you know statistically he's due to have like a breakout game um but with that i feel comfortable with our defense um I- i'm less scared about the running game and more to see how we're going to interact with uh stanford's tight ends and a couple of their uh, their big receivers because after watching the oregon game last week I'm just seeing some of those guys just get up and just catch the ball in traffic, and how good they've been on the 50-50 balls. That scares me a little bit, um, but I do think we have the the DBs to compete with them. But in some cases, uh, you know, I think we have to understand that we're going to lose some of those 50-50 balls, um, but just just keep them in check um, and, and not get burned on any of those deep ones. Because I think Notre Dame is going to load up the box and just put the emphasis on shutting down Love um, first mm-hmm. and you know first and foremost. And just putting it on the the DBs to make plays, but also really put an emphasis on you know bringing the heat for Costello because he's not not a mobile quarterback. Um, I think he has like negative 21 rushing yards on the year, which is you know statistically not great. Um, But you know he's been he's been able to get it done through the air. So you know a lot a lot going on with Stanford, and I just kind of word vomited all over the place. But I'm nervous as I always am because. you know Notre Dame's kind of, uh, especially Brian Kelly has been. You know I think Stanford owns some real estate in his head. Mm-hmm. This has been like you kind of said it's a different Stanford team because while they're so you know loaded up because
4: it's one of the top running backs in the country, they've kind of been winning some games through the air because so many teams are going to be. It seems like packing the box. Like I think Lee Oregon kind of tried to do that. I know u s b kind of tried to do that as well. So. How is, I guess, Stanford's offensive line this year, how are they going to hold up against all that extra pressure that Notre Dame might be trying to bring, try to load up the box to prevent Bryce Love from beating?
3: So it seems like they returned, you know, they returned just about everybody on the offensive line. So it should be a stronger suit for them. I think it's just a a result of what people are doing to them. And the way, you know, to beat Stanford is to make them beat you through the air um, and just kind of take away that that Stanford-style football is, you know, obviously, you know, ride and grind, um, and have, uh, love break off in big plays. And it's kind of big been a team style. Team yeah, I think they had a formation last, or a couple of weeks ago. They had like three fullbacks. Yeah. Which was, was three running backs.
0: I think it was two tight end the wide receiver on the field. It was just full house.
3: Oh, it's Stanford. that, ever, if it, <laughs> you know, a way, a way to like, I feel like sum up Stanford football is just like that screenshot. Um, and so I think Notre Dame will, you know, they'll load up the box and they have the speed to shut down Bryce Love, and I hope I don't eat those words. They have the speed to shut down Bryce Love and I think enough speed and talent on the back end to, you know, really, really force um, Costello to be uncomfortable. Um, and so Notre Dame has, um, I think they're like sixth overall in amount of pressure that gets a quarterback but so they don't have a ton of, uh, don't have a ton of sacks. They're like 78 quarterback hurries. So kind of with that side, I think something's got to give. And so I think Notre Dame has a chance, um, with being in a lot of man coverage this week, to get pressure and to
0: get sacks, especially with a quarterback who's not terribly mobile. Regardless of who is on the other side of the line of scrimmage, your own house has to be in order once you get to this point of the schedule. Uh, You're going to get some tests coming down the stretch here. I think, uh, you know, Ian Book put some good things on film last week, was smart with the ball at times. Uh, I'm looking at the stat line here. 25 of 34, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 325 yards. That's Wake Forest. He's turning it on there in the third quarter, second half particularly. But I know uh, Brian Kelly's been pretty mums the word uh, on the quarterback situation this week from what I've read. Uh, do you think Ian Book uh, keeps the ball on this one, Phil?
3: Absolutely. So a thing to notice on the, the depth chart report this week, um, before it was Brian Wimbush, uh, or yeah, so uh, Wimbush and then Book as the backup. And this week mm-hmm. there's a the all encompassing or which Brian Kelly likes to do um, for all of his players. And so this week it's Wimbush or Book, which just mm-hmm. you know lends itself to say it's definitely going to be Ian Book. Yeah, um, it's, it's actually
0: towards Book either one way or the other.
3: Yeah, and I think a stat line that that won't necessarily show up, which was. I think by far the most impressive of last week is he had 10 different receivers catch a ball last week, Ooh. which he's just spreading, absolutely spreading the ball around, which is huge. And the next component of that is um, he got the tight ends involved more. So Alizé Mack, who's had uh, who had six catches last week, um, is absolutely like a five-star talent, will be an NFL-type guy, but just hasn't had the productivity that has been expected out of him. But Book mm-hmm. has brought the best out of him. So if you look at yeah. L.J. Mack's production over the last three years, his two biggest games are last week um, and then versus North Carolina last year, which was Book's only start. And Mac had like a mysterious quote at the middle of last week, just was saying, like, I'm super excited. We're going to be throwing the ball all over the place. I think he was gearing up at the fact that he knew that Ian Book was starting. Um, yeah. and so with that, he's like, my guy's getting the ball, homie's going <laughs> to get me the ball. He's going to get those timing routes down and I can make some plays. So he had six receptions last week. So he's a, he's a guy that if you can get him going in the offense, it opens up everything else up. And so book is just a much better distributor of the ball. So me getting 10 receivers, the ball and, you know, being like 70 plus percent accuracy is just something that Notre Dame hasn't had. Now we're, yeah. we're we're what he lacks, and I'm doing air quotes um, right now. It lacks is kind of like that elite running ability that Brandon Wimbush has. Yet yeah, he was extremely, extremely, extremely efficient in not only the RPOs but the read option last week. He came away with you know three goal line rushing touchdowns, in which you know he just you know rolled the ball and held that in there you know super tight, a la. Phil Goff and Joe Musso, freshman friend of football. <laughs> um and just, just keep way. right around the edge. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean but who doesn't remember that? Don't forget um, blocking for you. Blocking for <laughs>
0: no you. No <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do. <laughs> well, what else do you know, Matt? Why don't you hit us with one here?
4: Um Dexter Williams is coming back off suspension today. I know Jafar Armstrong and, and Tony Jones Jr. have been off the solid starts, nothing spectacular. But also, you know, nothing bad by any means either. So what do you see from Dexter Williams coming back? Is he going to be, you know, that feature back right away, or is he going to be kind of a guy they kind of slowly bring back into the fold and let Armstrong and Jones
3: kind of keep doing their thing? So this is a bit of a unique situation. So normally when a guy is coming off a suspension or has missed a few games due to injury, it's usually like a slow integration back into the game plan. But it seems like whatever Dexter Williams has done, um, he has, like, complete support of the coaching staff and seem to have had it since, you know, through the spring, through the summer. And so the coaches have known whatever happened, um, he was going to be suspended for the first four games. But Brian Kelly has constantly been raving about how he's been a leader, how he's been working his ass off. And kind of with that, you think it's, you know, he's not in the doghouse. And he's a guy who's coming back not from injury, but a guy who's coming back who's been watching – you know, two guys eat at his carries. Um, and so what you get with Dexter Williams is is the home run potential. So last year he was one carry away from being the um, highest yards per carry back in all of college football. So he was ended up being one carry short of that. So, you know, he was averaging, I think, like 9.2 yards a carry last year, but didn't really have his blocking in order um, on pass protection and was also a little bit banged up by injury. But when he was going, he was actually moving like crazy. So I think we're going to see him, uh, not just completely take over. I mean, you, there, there's no taking away what Jafar Armstrong and Tony Jones Jr. have done. You know, they're counted for, you know, 500 plus yards and seven plus touchdowns after being, you know, virtually nobodies. Um, so they've done a, a great job filling in and I think it's going to be a, a three, kind of a three ball, three back approach, which Brian Kelly has done successfully over the last few years. Um, for a while, yeah. Now, who are the, yeah, Matt, who were the backs when it was? Was it Searwood, Theo Riddick, and who else was that uh, trio? George, George Atkinson, number four, George Atkinson. George Atkinson. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and I think this this trio of backs is, you know, similar types of skill sets, um, but I think, you know, Dexter Williams has that every down, home run type potential where he can just get through the line faster. Um, and even if he was in the doghouse, um, you know, Matt and Joe, last year Kevin Stefferson, who has literally made every mistake in the world, was suspended for the first four games and Kelly was constantly saying, This guy's not mature, this guy needs to grow up. Mm-hmm. And his first game back he had, you know, a touchdown or two and was immediately into the game plan. So take that mentality of a guy who was clearly in a doghouse versus Williams, who's, you know, Kelly's been raving about. So I expect him probably to get anywhere from like eight to twelve carries. Um you know, I can I, I see a stat line of, you know, eight to twelve carries you know, 60 to 80-plus yards in a touchdown. Hopefully I'm wrong. Yeah. I'd love to see a, you know, 150-yard game. But <laughs> I think he'll be a, a little bit rusty, but he'll he'll come out hot, Um, you know, yeah, a because he he hasn't been hit yet. These guys have all been getting hit for four weeks. Fresh bodies. Fresh legs. Yeah. Fresh bodies. Um, I just got one more to you go, know, and
4: then – Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go you know ahead, uh, I just want to go get from you – I want to get an X-factor. Give me a name on both sides of the ball. You know, if so-and-so – performs well on Saturday night. Notre Dame's probably coming out with a victory.
3: Um, I would say the X-Factors are going to be on defense, Julian Love. So there's been some shifting around this week, and we'll actually see him playing nickel this week. And the whole point of that is to get him matched up on the the big-bodied receivers one-on-one. There's going to be a lot of one-on-one coverage. If you go back and watch the tape from last year, we get four or five pass breakups in the end zone alone versus Stanford. So mm-hmm. he's a guy who just has a knack for getting in between the, the ball um, and knocking it down. So he has he, – last week he broke the record for most pass breakup in Notre Dame football history, um, and he's only, you know, four he games into his junior, junior season. Yeah, so that that shows the type of, you know, type of play that he can have. So if he is on his game, and he's going to get beat a couple times in some of those situations, Stanford receivers are they're just good. But if he can win the majority of those, that's going to be an absolute X factor for Notre Dame because they're going to be loading up the box and trusting their secondary. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, him versus um, the number 19 on Stanford. I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. It's a uh, oh, white side for Stanford. Mm-hmm. Who's yeah. had have had There's like seven. 20 plus catches for, yeah, for seven touchdowns this year. Um, so and, just getting that matchup is key.
0: If I'm not mistaken, uh, we're we're dealing with another St. Brown this week. Uh I believe Osiris. Cyrus? Is, am, I, am I mistaken? Is on uh, Stanford, so they have uh, one, a yeah. little bit of Notre, Notre Dame lineage there. Yeah, so one with USC.
3: Yeah, I'm. I'm much more worried about the USC Saint Brown. No, so, I'm just intimidated by all of them because
0: they're all, they all speak three languages. They speak three languages, like yeah, they speak French, they're all really smart, they all run four threes, they're vertical threat, they're, I watched, uh, I think it was an E60 on the family and it's, it's LeVar Ball without the cameras, it, it honestly, this is a dad who's breeding children and uh, doing a pretty successful job of it, I might add. Yeah, not to mention their dad was Mr. Universe. Yeah, that was <laughs> those uh, pictures of yeah, that. Kind of was greedy. Mom was Mom was German, Dad was Mr. Universe, correct? Yeah, I'm
3: I'm That's seeing some guy, weird, World War II
0: breeding type of scenario. He's gotta keep one eye on the competition, I think. He's gotta keep one eye on the competition. <laughs> Phil here at the Moose News Podcast, if you like to uh, Throw a, throw a little lock of the week out there for our uh, for our betting viewers. You know, we've got a lot of people who like a little taste on the weekend, a little action, and uh, I know we let you know of this before the call. So uh, we want to get your take this weekend, uh, college or pros, what's your lock of the week in the football world for this weekend? Weekend number five of college, weekend number four of NFL.
3: So this is a line that I saw that definitely intrigued me. So uh – Syracuse getting 21 at Clemson. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Clemson's going in. This is a revenge game. They, you know, went in and kind of got surprised upset by Syracuse last year, Um, and and very topical. So that Syracuse is not ranked, but has been playing pretty good football. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I see that 21 is is definitely you know it's an 11 o'clock it's a 11 o'clock game uh, or 12 o'clock Eastern time. So it's a morning game. So I think Clemson is going to get up for it. But the reason why this is most intriguing for me is the turmoil that's going on in, in Clemson. And we'll see if it's actual turmoil. This is kind of my dumb brain just saying, hey, there's some confrontation here. <laughs> because the, Trevor Lawrence, uh, the freshman quarterback for Clemson, is getting his first start, which that, start was weekend, yeah. new, that was news in and, of, in and of itself. But then Kelly Bryant immediately is taking advantage of the new redshirt rule, which if you don't play after four games any point in the season, you retain a year of eligibility. And so he saw the writing on the wall and just straight up transferred. Um, so he's, he's getting out of Clemson. And so he's been a guy who's been there for the last two or three years. Who, you know, I think his record is he's lost a like one and two. And only yeah. one of
4: those losses he actually started, I think. Only one of the losses wasn't a game that he started. I think I was reading something about that this morning.
3: And the other loss was to, you know, uh, was to Alabama in the National Championship game. So all this guy has done is win. He's got the respect of his coaches. He came out with some quotes today being like, "I've given everything that you've asked of me. All I've done is win." And so he seems to be pretty upset. And I'm not worried. I think Trevor Lawrence is a great quarterback, but I think this could have some impact on the team because there's going to be some guys who are who are who are, you know, loyal. See, this to is a direct shot at him. Yeah, loyal mm-hmm. to Kelly because he seems like he's a leader on the team. I mean, he's been the starter of the last two years. Um the guys trust him. And granted, I'm incredibly intimidated by Trevor
0: Lawrence. His long hair is just it's, it's <laughs> too good. It's, it's very good. sunshine. It's very sunshine. He's got all the tools, yeah. but I like what you're saying there. Maybe a little dissent within the team, uh, how yeah. divided. Uh, guys yeah. having to make a decision on uh, where they fall on this one. 21, a big number in those circumstances. Matt, why don't you hit us with your lock of the week? I wanted to
4: go with Michigan minus 14 at Northwestern, but I can't in all good consciousness pick Michigan as my lock of the week. Um, so I'm going to go Ohio State minus four at Penn State. I'm not at all impressed from what we've seen from Penn State so far this year. I know they have that awesome fourth quarter against U of I, but all overall they haven't really impressed me much. Uh, and Ohio State is just really good, and I think when in doubt with the Lions this week, you go with one of those big four teams, and I'm going to take Ohio State minus four.
0: Honestly, minus four, I like that as well. Uh I honestly didn't have uh, a college line that jumped out and slapped me in the face. But then again, uh I'm 0-2 over the last two weeks. Now sitting at 2-2, two and two, Matt, you're sitting at a dismal 1-3 and three on the season. So uh, I think yeah. hashtag fade Matt. Uh, I'm a game down. behind you. Hashtag fade Matt is the hashtag. Uh, we'll be sending out a $10 gift card to Matt's favorite restaurant, Arby's, to uh the first one to have a burger hashtag. can get. Hashtag Fade Matt. It is F-A-D-E-M-A-T-T. Uh, my lock and week, I'm going to go to uh, the pros. always feel a little bit more comfortable wasting my money there. And uh, I never do this. Something, this is one of my personal rules. I don't I hate the so Bears against or for. Uh, Matt told me not to do it because if they lose, it's my fault. But I let the Bears lay in three against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think uh, Tampa Bay, as we talked about uh uh some other teams earlier in the conversation here. Tampa Bay, I feel like, is regressing to the mean a bit. You don't know what uh, what uh Matthew Fitzpatrick is going to get on a day-to-day basis, but uh, I think that this uh, this defense can really pin their ears back, get after Fitzpatrick, make them uncomfortable, because this is an offense predicated on, you know, downfield attack, uh, really stretching things vertical with Mike Evans and Sean Jackson. You don't have time to do that against the Bears. So as long as the Bears can get pressure on the quarterback, they're going to get the job done on that side of the ball. I do think the Bears are going to win a lot of two-point games this year, uh, which scares me with this three-point line. Um, but if Mitch Trubisky, as he said, doesn't start uh, showing some signs of progress in the right direction offensively, then uh, uh, we got bigger problems than a couple lost dollars on a on a Bears bet. So uh, I'm thinking the Bears lay in three. Can, can anybody explain to me how Notre Dame is a six-point favorite? I
3: have
4: no
0: um, idea how so, they got No, so I'm going to defer to you on that one. <laughs>
3: I I thought the line last the I line the opened line up at three. three. The line
4: opened up at three, and what I'm looking at right now in front of, uh, front of a, a mm-hmm. website that uh, no free ads. Um, they're minus six Notre Dame, which I I, I think I, I, I think the I, line I might be against Notre Dame as a rule, but like it, there, there's got to be that much money coming in on Notre
3: Dame. Yeah, I mean, I think I think part of it could be people digesting how well book played last week, as well as yeah, Jeff Williams coming back. And
4: stands, I know they had that comeback, but they looked pretty, pretty bad. They, you know, first two and a half quarters of that game. Yeah. So I don't know. Were. I, but I didn't mean to the change the line. I was scrolling through <laughs> and I just saw that one now. And I, you know, I, just I have a short attention span.
0: So brought it up. <laughs> well, with all of our, for all of our uh, listeners, with short attention span, uh, we're going to wrap this one up right here. Uh, Phil, thank you again for jumping on the podcast, uh, Again, tell the people where they can find you: Twitter, social, and at One Foot Down.
3: Yep. So you can find me on Twitter, Philip Two Underscores G, um, and you can find us One Foot Down, a SB Nation uh, blog covering Notre Dame football. So a big mashup this weekend. Let's uh, let's hope for the best um, and let the the Ian book puns flow
0: all weekend a of it reading it like a book two underscores you don't see that you don't see that that often that's, that's impressive stuff I gotta hand it to you, though. oh yeah someone you gotta separate yourself somehow <laughs> <laughs> alright one foot down we appreciate you pal and uh, we'll be sure to have you back on the pod uh, in later weeks hopefully still an unblemished record for the Irish when we get there we'll talk to you soon so. absolutely appreciate it guys so fast.
1: So there you have it. Thank you again to Phil Goff. Uh, always really his finger on the pulse uh, with the Irish. I know he was up there in the, up there in the, in the booth uh, in, the, in the press box for, uh, for last week's game and uh, I think he will continue to be this season. So definitely good to have an ear to the ground when it comes to the Irish. Uh, thank you again, Phil, for all the hard work. But Matt, uh, let's keep this thing moving. Uh, what do you say we had hit some buyer cells and then hit the road?
2: I love buyer sell. Let's do it. Want me to start or you want to start?
1: I'm going to start us off. I'm Let's gonna, start us off. Hit you with one here. Uh, we were talking about overreactions and being ready for quarterbacks and, and windows being open and closed. Sure. Well, I think about the arm and the talent of Pat Mahomes. So buy or sell. Pat Mahomes finishes this season with 55 plus touchdown passes. He's currently on pace to break the record. Uh, he has 13. Uh, touchdown passes through three weeks. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a regression to the mean at some point, but uh or sell. He finishes the season with 55. plus.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm going to sell. Uh, he's been very fun to watch so far, but kind of like what I what I touched on with them earlier. It's just I've I've seen this movie with the Chiefs before, and not that I don't believe that they're a very good football team, but I just kind of want to reserve judgment until you know we get past you know week five six and they're still kind of doing this unlike the last few years where I've seen these Andy Reid teams kind of not regress a little bit. There still were good football teams and you'll play off football teams, but they weren't the team that was lighting the world on fire throughout you know first month of the season. So I'll sell that. But I obviously he's looked fantastic. Alrighty. Um what do I got Your for turn. you? I'm gonna go to the Bay Area and keep both my, my questions in the Bay area, customizing them for you, Joseph. Uh, gonna gonna it's stick with football, I know. Uh, obviously, tragic—not tragic news, but very upsetting news for Jimmy G. Uh, out for the yeah. year. Um, buy or sell? CJ Beathard starts the remaining 12 games, whatever it is for for San Francisco. I'm going to buy it. Um, They're—I don't think they're going to make any rash decisions. I know they're working
1: out four guys today, but uh, likely all just confirmation that that going to be the best quarterback on the uh, on the roster. I know. The name uh, Matt Moore was thrown around. I know that uh, they're bringing in Tom Savage for a workout. No uh, no world beaters. No one that's going to mm. make you who you were with Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think that uh, barring injury, C.J. Beathard starts the rest of the season for uh, for um, the, the 49ers. Uh, he, he got a lot of tick last year um, in, in what was a pretty sloppy middle of the season, but he did get them that win against the Giants prior to Garoppolo mm-hmm. coming in and, you know, winning five straight, but he's got a little experience. And, uh, I know Kyle Shanahan's got to say all the right things, but in his press conference, um, he has the belief in CJ Beathard, the team believes in CJ Beathard. Um, he likes his arm talent. He likes how he's cool under, uh, under pressure. So I think that, uh, they're all systems go with, with CJ Beathard. Now, does that make them a much, uh, less uh, dangerous team offensively, absolutely. But uh, this is this is a, this is a league where you're only as strong as your backup. So uh, we're going to see how strong the 49ers really are. But I'm uh, I'm buying it. C.J. Beathard is the starter. Will be the starter unless uh, something out of the ordinary happens.
2: I mean, they were kind of in a spot where similar to the Bears before the Mac trade. Like, yeah, they're a team who might be up and coming and do some good things this year. But you know, still. A year or so away before being, you know, that real NFC title contender type mm-hmm. team. So I if you're it. them, like, there's there's no point in sacrificing a draft pick for a holdover one year quarterback. Why not, you know, start CJ bethard Obviously, they're not going to say this in the press, but behind closed doors, they know what they have I and mean, they, they know they're probably going to lose a lot of games with CJ bethard under center. Why not be not great one more year, uh, get that you know top ten draft pick, and hopefully add another impact right now ready player. To what's already a pretty good up-and-coming roster, instead of trying to you know patchwork a seven and nine season, eight and eight season together with a veteran quarterback, you might be able to go trade a, a second or third round pick for.
1: Yeah, I don't think you want to do anything uh, no. like that because I don't, like you said, I don't think that this year anyway that they were thinking Super Bowl, maybe no. playoffs. But once Jarek McKinnon goes down, so now you have your franchise quarterback and what was supposed to be your franchise running back uh, both rehabbing together. So I don't know if there's. Silver lining there, but uh, probably not. I guess no. the i guess the silver. I said it on air last night. I guess the silver lining is last year's Super Bowl champions uh, were led by a backup quarterback who uh, came in off of a torn ACL for a starter. But again, not everyone's got Nick Foles as a backup quarterback. So no. Yeah. Uh, um. All right. I think I I gotta hit you one. It one is here. your turn to hit me with something. All right, uh, Matt. Buy or sell the Patriots' slow start is enough reason for concern. Where's your Where's your concern when it comes to Foxborough? I know we touched on it a little bit, but uh, do you think this is still a team that will find itself in the AFC Championship at the end of the year?
2: It's still a team that's going to win the division. Um, it's it Maybe they go to the AFC Championship. The maybe maybe the game get upset. <laughs> yeah, I'll believe that one when I see it. But I, I think uh, it was Tom Waddle who I was listening to yesterday talking about how it seems like these slow starts for the Patriots have been happening more and more the last couple of years as everyone's gotten older a little bit. And every year the media kind of wants to make it, oh, this is the downfall of the Patriots, and then every year the Patriots kind of bounce back and they become the Patriots again. I'm never going to be on the side of this is the downfall of the Patriots. I'll happily admit I'm wrong when it actually is that downfall, but I'm never going to bet against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick figuring out. So I'm going to sell that there's reason to have concern because I they've proven – people and everybody wrong so many times that they've earned that i think i'm with you all right that was easy uh gonna go stay in the bay area because i said i got both we're gonna go baseball mm-hmm. here joe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. your oakland a's they just clinched a wild card berth i believe what was it last night or two nights ago last right? night
1: yeah uh tampa bay mathematically eliminated by losing to the yankees
2: um r.i.p tampa so, bay they're in. yeah yeah nobody uh Nobody saw them coming back anyway. This one has been decided for a while. Uh, but buy or sell your Oakland A's host the wild card game. They're a game and a half behind the Bronx Bombers, the evil empire. Buy or sell they can figure it out. They can uh, they can jump the Yankees and host them in the wild card.
1: I'm selling on it because throughout this entire stretch run here, even when they were kind of eyeing a, eyeing a divisional title against Houston, um, they have been unable to – Win on nights when other teams lose, when the either the Astros or the Yankees lose. Yeah. So they've really struggled gaining ground on either one of these teams, and that uh, that inability to take advantage of some uh, uh, some really opportunistic uh, situations. Because when you're playing on the West Coast, all that East Coast baseball is done. You know what the Yankees did today. You know you're going out there with the idea that the Yankees lost. Let's go pick up a full game. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been unable to do that. Couple that with the fact that the Yankees have the tiebreaker in hand. So it's technically at a half game to whatever so two the A's. games. Because Yeah, it's it's a two game lead right now. Um, I, I'm going to sell on it. I think they play that one in uh, in New York, but uh, I was reading up on it. Historically, that might not be the worst thing for the A's because uh, they've had a lot of playoff runs uh, come to an end at their home stadium. So the Coliseum, while uh, it can be one of the loudest and uh the most raucous crowds it can also be dead silent uh obviously for a wild card game the place is going to be packed but um yeah i think it's you know it's a one game playoff it's baseball it's nine innings anything mm-hmm. can happen and you just got to go out there and try and be the team that wins that day
2: they're also here i opened up the schedule out of curiosity they're mm-hmm. closing all on the road here i didn't realize that they got two more at seattle two more at la obviously not but, world beaters of teams but it's it's always tough to go on the road and win but i Yankees uh, this is kind of a weird team in that regard, so maybe I shouldn't look too much into that. The Yankees do finish uh, with a three-game set against Boston, so okay. uh, If there's
1: if there's a sweep in line there, I guess then we're talking. But uh, be interesting to see
2: how Boston handles that, knowing like yeah, we're ready for the playoffs, but we also don't like these guys. And if we can, we can get them on the road for uh-huh. their their wild card game. Maybe we should go all in for it. Who knows? But yeah, man, I just be, uh, I, I was looking at the schedule and saw the projected starters for Oakland. Oakland like how how are like they who? Do, no, not it's not who i know who they are and i know they're not good it's, it's brett anderson who we saw with the cubs was a Whoa. dumpster fire it's mike fires who's a career high four era pitcher edwin yeah, jackson that's has, all i have Fiers to say has
1: come fires has come in edwin jackson has been the ace the i know month. i don't care mike <laughs> fires mike fires has one loss since he got picked up by uh by uh, picked up from the lot li- the lions picked up from the tigers. tigers excuse me detroit teams um picked up by the tigers it's they it's been amazing what they've been able to do uh, bob melvin if he doesn't win manager of the year it's it's a complete farce because all five of his opening day starters are now on the disabled list uh two of them with tommy john one with arthroscopic shoulder surgery it's it's unbelievable that they're able to have won 90 plus games that are in the position that they're in.
2: Hey, would would you say would you say Mike Fires has been on fire since on, they traded on, for him? On Fires. Did you get it? I did. No, you I got it. You get it? Okay, I, I just it. wanted to make sure you got it. Is that and I can't take good?
1: any more of it. So, with that, uh, <laughs> we're going to say goodbye here on the Moose and Roots podcast, episode 73. Can I, can I, can I shut something down?
2: It'll be a quick one, but yeah, I think we, gotta, I think we, we got to
1: mention it. We don't pay for any of this. Shut it's it true. down. Shut it down. Shut it all down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Houston, we have shut down? I've seen enough. Shut it
2: down. Joe, an end of an era uh, happened on Sunday afternoon. Uh, I'm not sure your feelings of Hawk Harrelson, how much you, you liked yes. or disliked his broadcasting, um, but but for me, Hawk was the Hawk was the voice of the White Sox. Hawk was the voice of baseball. Hawk was the voice of summer growing up. Um, from you know the time I remember watching White Sox baseball till now you know, obviously that voice will always be synonymous. I like Jason Benetti but it'll kind of never be the same for me. Um, love, love him or hate him. He was polarizing he loved his white sox like he always wanted to say and he was entertaining whether whether he liked him or not. Um, but you know that's that's the end of an era that's that's the end of a very interesting I think entertaining era of he made bad baseball games you know bad baseball teams a lot growing up kind of more watchable for me um and it's gonna be it's sad that he's gone it's it's sad that he's done now we all knew this was coming obviously the the limited load the last couple of years has been this has been trending this direction but you know he was he was the voice of baseball the voice of the white Sox always for me growing up and that's something you're always gonna miss Yeah, a tip of the cap to the Hawk, no
1: doubt. Um, Like you said, just kind of the soundtrack to our childhoods. Uh, One of the greatest home run calls you'll ever hear. Uh, It it was it was a fantastic run, and like you said, not always uh, not always without scandal or without uh, drama. But uh, Hawk always made it interesting. And the one thing I take away here, and uh, you know, you can tire on some people, but. the one thing I take away is that few people were as synonymous to their team, to their franchise, as Hawk Carrollson to the White Sox. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only one that comes to mind is uh, Vin Scully with uh, with the Dodgers, and maybe um, maybe the Senior Buck with uh, with the Cardinals. Uh, there's there's just such a short list yeah. of mm-hmm. uh, of. Guys that were on the call for so long and meant so much to a franchise, uh, so Hawk uh, Hawk definitely going to be missed. But uh, what he gave us and and the memories uh, they cannot be replaced. And uh, he'll hopefully, hopefully down, hopefully go down, down, down the South road South's here,
2: history. when Jason Benetti's away calling a football game or a uh, you know whatever, I know he has a bunch get of back maybe there. we'll get maybe we'll get the Hawkaroo back in for you know some some guest spots here and there. And never
1: forget, Hawk Harrelson invented the batting glove. It's true. That's all I got. That's, all I got. That's a good note to end on. That's going to do it for episode 73 of the Moose and Runes podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed as much as we did. As always, get at us on uh, the social platforms, send us your questions. We'll be sure to jump into that mailbag next week. Uh, big weekend of football ahead of us, some Ryder Cup action. Uh, send us all your questions, all your reaction, and uh, we'll be sure to get it into the show. That's it for episode 73. For Matt, I'm Joe. We'll talk to you guys soon.